Welcome to Art of the Word, the Living Stones podcast, where we seek to discover the beauty of faith through the beauty of art. In this episode, Michael Dinsmore from the Living Stones community of Chicago meets up with Professor Nina Herman, Assistant Professor of Sacred Scripture at St. Patrick Seminary in California, and one of the first acquaintances of Living Stones. In their discussion, they unpack a part of the last section of the Creed that deals with the Holy Catholic Church, or as stated in the Nicene Creed, one Holy Catholic Apostolic Church. Hello and welcome to Art of the Word, the Living Stones podcast. Uh, today we're continuing our series on the Creed, and so I want to start by reading the relevant section. In the Apostles' Creed, uh, the last section says, I believe in the Holy Spirit, the Holy Catholic Church, the communion of saints, the forgiveness of sins, the resurrection of the body, and the life everlasting. Amen. And today we'll be talking about that little bit in there, the Holy Catholic Church, or as the Nicene Creed says, one holy Catholic and apostolic church. Uh, joining us today is, is Professor Nina Hierman from St. Patrick's Seminary in Menlo Park, California. She's Assistant Professor of Sacred Scripture and Department Chair of Sacred Scripture. And in addition, she's one of the first two stones that Father John Paul brought to life in Frankfurt uh, very early in the, the uh, Pietro Vive uh, journey. So we're delighted to have her with us. Uh, thank you for being here, Professor. Thank you for inviting me, Michael. I'm very honored to be here. Wonderful. Well, so our question today, you know, bringing your expertise in is what is the church? And I know you have some ancient Christian uh, expertise and images to bring in. So could you introduce us a little bit to the topic and uh, how you came into this and in, in, into studying it as well? Well, I came into studying it basically because I was a living stone back in 2004 in Frankfurt and Father John Paul Hernandez opened up to us the treasures and the beauty of the understanding of the church as this paradise restored and the living temple of which each of uh, each and every one of us is a, a stone thanks to our baptism. And um, while I was later on studying theology in Rome, I came to realize how deeply the entire church architecture over the centuries is always carried on by this temple paradise motif. And by God's providence, I ended up doing my doctorate on the Song of Songs. And lo and behold, studying the Song of Songs, I discovered that the Song of Songs is constantly in dialogue with other passages in the Old Testament that speak about the temple as paradise restored. And as most living stones know, these passages in the Old Testament are the most gorgeous and powerful prefigurations of the church in the New Testament. And so that's how I got to it. Really interesting. But what about, I guess, I'm curious. I mean, I think that when people think of the church today, they usually think of either the building or maybe that institution over there, headquartered in Rome, run by the Pope. Uh, I don't think they think of uh, an eschatological paradise. So can you make the connection a little bit with the, between these biblical images? Um, is it that we had a different perspective in the biblical or the patristic era? Um, are those perspectives relevant to us today? No, of course, we don't have a different perspective as the fathers of the church. Um, most of us just lack a catechism in the 
mystery of the church. Um, it starts with a wonderful lapsus you did in the beginning of this podcast. You said, what is the church? Well, the question should really be, who is the church? Because that's where the whole problem starts. We think many people think of the church as an institution, you know, like, okay, you have the police headquarters and then you have um, sports institutions. You even have, you know, all these worldly institutions, but the church is not just another institution, even if it is organized according to um, similar in an analogous way to a worldly institution, but the church truly is not a what, but a who. If you had asked the fathers of the church, they would have said, she is the bride of Christ. Or another image that that St. Paul uses, she is the body of Christ. And by being the body of Christ, we express what the church truly is. She is the ongoing incarnate Christ living on this earth in which he continues the mission that he started 2000 years ago when Christ left us and went up to the father it's not that he stopped being with us he said I'm coming back to you and this coming back happened in the Holy Spirit and he continues to be with us both in the sacraments and the ministers he instituted in the church and of course the most eminent sacrament, the Holy Eucharist, but all the different gifts he's given to his church are a means by which he continues to work the salvation that he's brought to come in the church. And so if you wish, the church is really an elongation of the, of the incarnate Christ in this world. He continues to live in and act in this world through the church. Now, this sounds as if the church was just, uh, and sorry, just is maybe a little bit, too short but so on the one hand the church is the continuation of christ's presence in the world the church really is the body of christ and at the same time she's also someone different so to say to christ because she's also his vis-a-vis -vis, if you allow me to use that image from genesis chapter 2 where we have the first adam and the new adam that imagery was very dear to the fathers and it accompanies us to this very day the fathers say in the same way as the first adam was given an eve at his side to rule over all of creation so also the new adam rules over all of creation but he doesn't do so on his own and eve has been given to him and this eve is of course first and foremost our lady who participates 100 percent in this work of salvation of the world but then our Lady Mary is the archetype of the church. She's not only the mother of the church, she also is the church herself. And each and every one of us, by virtue of our baptism, have, have become a, a tiny little new Eve, who now, by virtue of belonging to the church, with the new Eve, in the new Eve, we, we participate in this work of the ongoing redemption of the world. And so... This is where you have um, this other imagery of the church as the bride of Christ. And that gets us back to the Song of Songs, because as the Jewish tradition and also the church father tradition understands the Song of Songs, Song of Songs is this love song between the Messiah and his bride, the people of God, who in the New Covenant is the church. And now the beauty is that in the Song of Songs, the bridegroom looks at, looks at his bride and he says, you are a garden closed, my bride. You are a garden closed, a fountain of living water. 
And then he goes on to describe her as a paradise. That's in Song of Songs, chapter 4, verses 12 to 16. Um, a, a paradise of pomegranates and then 12 different species are named that grow in this garden, etc. So what's so beautifully mysterious here is that the bridegroom, the Messiah, looks at his bride and recognizes in her this temple imagery, which is paradise restored in, in his beloved, this beloved being in the Old Testament context, the people of Israel, and then by Christ's death and resurrection, all those who come to believe in him and are reborn in baptism become part of this people of God. And through baptism, through the mystery of baptism, Christ restores these paradisiacal realities in each and every one of us. And that living water, which the Song of Songs speaks about, when he says you are an enclosed garden, which means you are a virgin, that's this mystery of the church's virginity, you are a fountain of living water, is now realized in the church, which has become the fountain of living water for all humanity. Mind you, if you come to believe in Christ, in order to be saved, you have to receive baptism. Now, this baptism doesn't come out of nowhere. You go to the community of those who belong to Christ and the, the, the living waters of baptism now flow no longer, not only forth from the lamb of God, but also from his bride that gets us to that imagery in revelation 22, right? Um, the water that was once watering metaphorically the garden of Genesis, Genesis two verses 10 to 14. And then were lost because we were expelled from paradise because of original sin have now been reopened in the mystery of the church. And that is put into beautiful imagery in revelation 22, where we see no longer a temple in heaven because the entire new Jerusalem, which is one of the powerful images for the church, the entire new Jerusalem has become this temple in which God dwells. And from the heart of the city flows forth the living water that gives life 12 months a year, which means perfect fruitfulness. And on either side of the river grows the tree of life. So there's this abundance of trees of life. But of course, there's only one tree of life, which is the cross of Christ. But you see how, how bridegroom and bride have become one. And those who, who belong to the bride have now access to these living waters that give healing to our nations. Well, you know, I'm curious across the the several different images you've provided of the church, you know, starting with the um, the bride of Christ versus the body of Christ. I mean, these are obviously sort of corporate ways of understanding ourselves in faith, wherein very often when we speak about faith, we speak about me and God, very direct, personal. And so what does it mean for our Catholic faith uh, to understand ourselves as part of the church? And how is our faith shaped by that corporate identity? And how should our personal spiritual lives be shaped by that corporate identity? Excellent, excellent question. Um, that, that understanding which you just described, it's about me and Jesus, is so modern. It's, um, the, it's what marks our modern, subjective, secular world, that everything is just about the subjective experience. And the the message of the scriptures of the entire revelation of God is the exact opposite. Um, the church is actually 
the realization of God's dream from all eternity to gather up all humanity into one corporate family. God wants all humanity to be one, just as him, just as the father and the son are one in the Holy Spirit. Um, the beauty, if you look at the Trinity, is that the father and the son are two different persons, and yet they're absolutely one. And in the same way, God wants this complete diversity amongst us in, in the way that every single person is so different and nobody's ever the exact copy of another person. And yet God wants us to participate in this complete unity that reigns in the Trinity. And that is why we have verses like um, in Ephesians 4, 4, there's but one God and one baptism and one bread that all, we all communicate in. I guess the bread of the Eucharist is what symbolizes this in the best manner is we all receive the same body of Christ. And so we all become parts of this one body, but then in this body, there's so many different parts. However, the important thing is um, to coming back to what you just said, um, the modern mindset is a bit like, as long as I have my personal relationship with Jesus, that's fine. No, if we look at the scriptures, the scriptures clearly tell us that it was this plan of God's from all eternity to gather up all humanity into one family. And this plan was scattered by original sin and beautifully symbolized by the power, tower of Babel, where everybody basically starts speaking a different language and they're all scattered all over the globe and, and um, everybody becomes everybody's enemy, so to say. Um, now, the working of the Holy Spirit is the exact opposite direction. And so God starts with the family of Abraham and then this family becomes a nation. And then with the coming of the new covenant, all the nations are invited to become these, so to say, spiritual Jews which we are because we now have become children of Abraham. And um, what's important for God is that we, or the way God instituted our access to salvation is that we actually cannot have access to salvation outside of the church. That does not mean that someone who doesn't know the church is not saved. Uh, that would be horrible. There would be billions of people who can't have access to salvation. However, what, the church believes and what we see in revelation is that every grace of salvation that god dispenses in the economy of salvation is dispensed through the church and um so i think it's kind of understandable for everybody that if we met realize and meditate that every human person is a child of god and that christ has shed his blood for every human person then if Christ has shed his, his blood for my neighbor and for me, then we're already brother and sister by blood. And it's not fathomable that my brother's salvation should um, be of no interest to me. Um, if paradise cannot all be paradise, then it must be a place where we love each other with the same love with which God has loved us. And what is that same love with which God has loved us? That's the Holy Spirit. God loves each and every one of us with the, with the same love with which he has loved his son, Jesus Christ. So if, if you meditate on that and the fact that um, the Holy Spirit 
that I am loved with the infinite, infinite love of God, then you can imagine how when the church comes to its complete fruition in the kingdom of God, we will all be, be united by the same one spirit with which the father loves the son and the son loves the father. That love will, um, will make us capable of loving God, first of all, and then in God, each other, without any hatred, without any jealousy, without any sub, uh, uh, superbacy, <laughs> sorry for my English, any arrogance. Um, God wants the entire human family to be one, and the instrument of uniting us is the church. And therefore, it's a contradiction to say, um, me and my Jesus is enough. But in the measure... The, the measure by which I love God, the scriptures say, is the measure by which I love my neighbor. So those two cannot be played out against each other. And in order to help us to uh, to unite, God has instituted the church in such a way that St. Paul would say, uses this metaphor of the body of Christ, that the hand cannot be without the foot and the eye cannot be without the heart, etc. We all, because sin sin means I want to be autonomous. I don't want to depend on you or on God. The means of salvation is the exact opposite. I totally depend on God and I totally depend on the church and the means of the salvation that the church gives me access to in first of all, baptism and then confirmation, the Eucharist um, confession, and even the last rites, all these means of salvation. I have to um, go to the church and, and submit myself to this mother whom God has, whom Christ has given us from the height of the cross. What about though, I think many people, when they hear the word church, they don't think of a mother and they don't think of a nice bride of Christ or Christ's body. They think of very human uh, individuals, fallible people. You know, when I'm in church on Sunday, uh, you know, Often these inter our interactions are characterized by pettiness and much more serious sins. So what does it mean for the church to be sort of eschatologically this perfect um, idealized body and simultaneously be, um, you know, in a world that is itself imperfect? Um, what is it? Are we, um, how do we, how do we reconcile uh, sin with the church? Yeah, that's the question of all questions, particularly in the, current time where it is so the the sins of those inside the church have become such a scandal to those not only outside the church but even inside the church so that people are losing their faith because they see what um what priests of christ have been doing um that is where uh we see that the the church is something that only faith um in christ and in the word of god can help us um see because it's like a bit i come back to the old testament and i find this consoling that in the old testament the people of god were constantly in um in the horrible sins and yet god never broke his covenantal love with those people of israel and I think what's important for us to see even in the new covenant or even more so in the new covenant is that 
each and every one of us is a sinner and each and every one of us has certainly had moments in the life when we were not the best um, advertisers for the church, which means, you know, Pope Francis has this saying, which is actually quite good. He says, um, the church is also just a fiat Lazaret of those who are sick, or to put it in the beautiful words of the, of Jesus Christ himself, of the Samaritan, the good Samaritan. If you read Luke 10 carefully, the good Samaritan is actually Jesus Christ. And the church is this house into which he brings the man that has fallen underneath the robbers. Now the man that has fallen underneath the robbers is another beautiful image for humanity who has fallen um, to in original sin has become the victim of the demons and is now bruised and wounded and um, and not very nice to look at. So he brings, the good Samaritan brings that man into into the house of the, the innkeeper. So the innkeeper is the church and, and the church has to take care of all these people who are limping and, um, and have pus in their wounds, etc. So it's a great temptation to look at the church and say, well, look at what this priest has done and what that priest has done or, you know, like you just said, the people in the parish, I can't stand them. Well, let's not forget that all of us are in the church because we are sinners and we are in desperate need of salvation. So just because my neighbors are big sinners or I or a priest doesn't mean that the church itself is not willed or instituted by Christ because the fact that God wants the church is clear from uh, Genesis to Revelation 22 and the way that that our fathers have always understood the scriptures even in the old covenant Israel was sinful and yet you needed to belong to Israel in order to participate in the promise of salvation and same in the New Testament Jesus says to Peter 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 you are the rock and on this rock I will build my church, which again is this temple imagery, because in the old covenant, the temple was built on a rock. And um, Jesus, you know, we have this other famous passage where Jesus tells Peter that he's going to even deny Christ, but Christ, as a consequence of that, didn't, um, didn't say to Peter, okay, so I'm going to find someone else to be my, the shepherd of my sheep. Um, God knows about our sinfulness and he works with our, with our sinfulness. And I think it's actually a beautiful message of mercy that even though I'm a sinner, God has chosen me to be part of his church and uses my life as an instrument of salvation for other people. That's, um, that's interesting. I, it, it's something that's always struck me, right? Is um, the, the way in which the church is something that, uh, in some sense, we're the object of the ministry of the church, right? Both, and I mean that not just the hierarchical church, but, you know, I've, I've been witnessed to by many Catholics, and they are in many ways, they've uh, transmitted the faith to me, and yet I'm also a member of the church, and in some sense, I'm supposed to be that for other people. Um, and so we have this composite, uh, we're both the sort of the subject and the object and so I guess I'm wondering, you know, wrapping together all these different insights you've had about the church, like, is there anything you can say about, um, you know, going out into the world tomorrow? How should I look at myself differently as a member of the church? How should, how should that identity as a member of the church uh, shape my life? And how should it shape how I understand myself um, and my faith? Yeah, that is a, a very, very, very important and beautiful question, particularly in today's 
word. So um, there's two things I want to say. One is the image that comes to my mind from the Gospel of Luke, you know, where the woman with the hemorrhage touches Christ's garment and then a power goes out from that garment and she's healed. And so often we think of the church just in terms of, of the hierarchy, and that's absolutely wrong because the hierarchy continues Christ's mission of sanctifying the church, but the church in essence is really the the community of those who have been baptized. They are the bride of Christ. And to go back to the image of the body of Christ, we are now this garment that through which the church the world comes into contact with the church. Christ has no other you know how the saints say Christ has no other hands but ours and no other eyes but ours but the this power that goes out from him is the holy spirit that has that has anointed the head of the body which is Christ but has like using the church fathers would always love this psalm uh, from the um i think it's 136 the Aaron's oil that runs down from the head to the entire body the garment of Aaron and and that is basically who the church, how, who every lay person is in the world. We can think of ourselves as this garment who is out there. And whoever comes in contact with us comes into contact with the living Christ. If we're living in grace, if we are, if we frequently go, you know, if we go to, if we participate in the sacraments of the of the church, if we receive the Eucharist regularly, minimum on Sunday, if we go to confession on a regular basis, we are in Christ, and which means the Lord is using us as the channel of his grace to change this world. Now, this doesn't mean that you, are, you, you necessarily see conversions happening around yourself. That would be awesome. But normally this happens in more veiled fashion. Whenever even you go into a supermarket and you smile at someone, if you speak to someone, you're in the state of grace. Here is actual grace flowing and it might bring it will bring joy to another person. It can bring light to another person, even if you're not actively announcing the gospel. Of course, it's awesome if you have the occasion. But even if you don't, your presence in the world makes a difference. As Christ says, you're the salt of the world. You're the light of the world. And you can this light that we carry in ourselves. It might not be visible to our fleshly eyes, but it is certainly visible to the spiritual world. So we mustn't forget that we are living in a world where there is a constant spiritual fight going on between the angels of God and the demons and human beings who are being instrumentalized, unfortunately, sometimes by demons. So meeting someone who's, he's, who's actually just been taught, I mean, you know, he might be tortured by an evil spirit or he might just be depressed in his own sin. Your presence, your loving presence, even if you don't even speak about Jesus, makes a difference to that person. So that's one thing, to just always be mindful that we are this garment through which the Holy Spirit is actually flowing and and um, penetrating into this world. The other thing that is um, minimum of equal importance is what Christ says about us sharing in his sufferings that we are by the very fact of assuming our baptism everything we live be it joyful or painful christ lives in us and it's so important particularly now today that we see so much suffering happening in the whole world to constantly unite our own sufferings with the sufferings of christ because that is how we live our call as baptized priests yeah baptism 
so united with Christ that we participate in his priesthood and what is his pre- priesthood priesthood understood in the ancient days and context is you're a mediator between God and the world. Very concretely, we are sons in the son. We are sons within Jesus Christ. So whatever we live, we live it united with Christ. And if we suffer, it's Christ continuing his suffering on the cross. He brings it to the father and thereby it is salvific to the world. So even if you don't ever go out to that supermarket to speak to the person, um, or if you never, if you can never lose, leave your room because you're at home in a wheelchair or on your bed because you're sick, that's where your being united to Christ changes this world because your sufferings are Christ's sufferings. And he is using them to save those who don't know him yet, who don't know the church or who, who know it, but who are yet in sin. Um, so, being part of the mystical body of Christ, which is the church, gives your life, your everyday life, you know, and if it's, if it, if your everyday life seems to be the most insignificant thing, thing, it gives it an infinite value because everything you do in love is done in Christ and therefore has a salvific value. And this is how God eventually you know, another image that the church fathers use is that of the fisher net. And you are one, you're one knot in this fisher net, which by being united to Christ, God is using it to bring thousands and thousands, if not trillions of souls back to Christ. And we only in heaven will we be able to marvel and thank God for the unique privilege we had to already in this earth belong to his body, the church because it gives our life such an infinite fruitfulness. Thank you so much. That really brings us to time. So I'm going to draw us to a close by thanking you once again for being here, uh, for everything that you've done for Living Stones over the years. Um, and I, I thought it would be good uh, to close with, you alluded to a quotation from St. Teresa of Avila, and I'm just going to read it slowly so that the listeners after the, the podcast ends can reflect upon it. The quotation is, Christ has no body on earth now but yours, no hands but yours, no feet but yours. Yours are the eyes through which he looks with compassion on the world. Yours are the feet with which he walks to do good. Yours are the hands with which he blesses all the world. And again, that's St. Teresa of Avila. Thank you everyone for listening.